Welcome to the Red Roof Recovery Show. This is a program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavior addictions. I'm your host, Tanya McIntyre, and I'm here to share my experience in my own recovery from drugs and alcohol, and to also provide you with some tools and resources that have worked for me on my path of recovery. But first, I want to stop and enjoy this beautiful theme music. It's called Greatest Bravery, and it's from the CD titled The Master Key. It's by my friend, my mentor, a very talented singer, songwriter, musician. His name is Russell Allen Scott. Thank you for this, Russell. I love it. Red Roof Recovery focuses on tools of therapy rather than schools of therapy, because there are literally hundreds of tools of therapy to choose from and tools of recovery. The key is to find whatever it is that works for you. Grab onto that and do more of it. It's all about you and your recovery. Red Roof Recovery uses a variety of evidence-based solutions along with the latest scientific findings, inclusion, customization, and you. We are all different, and what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. And when you customize your recovery for what works for you, you are more likely to sustain it. On this episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show, we're going to be talking about one of the core principles of cognitive behavior therapy, also known as CBT. And this core principle is the idea of acceptance. You'll hear me talking about acceptance all the time. It's been a key component of my own recovery journey. And it's acceptance of not only ourselves, but also your life and the other people in your life. Uh, the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre is uh, one of my favorites, and I quote him often. <laughs> I'm kind of on the same page with him a lot of times when he says, hell is other people. <laughs> ah, so we learn how to accept ourselves, others, and life unconditionally on our path of recovery. What CBT has taught me is a new way to think, which helps me manage a new way to live, and that helps me master a new way to be. You know, it's funny, the desire to please others can become hardwired in our psyche to the point that we spend a lot of time trying to fulfill the vision that other people have of us. And when we do that, we squash our own expressions of our own uniqueness and our ability to shine our own light. I wish I had said that profound statement from my own mind, but that statement came from one of my favorite people. Her name is Tammy Bannon. She's a master life coach. She's an expert in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. And I'm grateful to have Tammy as a regular guest here on the Red Roof Recovery Show. Welcome, Mm. Tammy Bannon. (laughs) Thanks, Tanya. As you read that, I don't remember saying it, but it touched me just then as you read it again, and it's so true. And I'm I'm, I'm here today, you know, um, making a... Uh, self-proclamation of self-acceptance by showing up without makeup. Uh, My hair needs a good coloring. Accepting that I've gained weight based on my immobility because I broke my leg and feeling weak. I carry with me my own self-loathing and guilt and shame. Um, And I decided today I would show up exposing all of that to everyone in hopes that it might give someone the courage to just be who they are without the social constructs. You know, we talked about dress codes and how everybody's supposed to behave in a certain way. And I came to this realization that 
who I am is not the shell that my spirit has borrowed for this time on earth. Who I am shines from inside me, and and this shell that I carry around with me is nothing more uh, than a vessel. So with my gray hair and my disappearing eyebrows and my constantly growing pores on my face and how much more every day I look like my mother, I'm here to accept myself with what I hope will be grace. Um, and when I leave, I'll carry with me that I had the courage to do it. So, yeah, it's a big thing. Oh, thank you so much for that, Tammy. And it is a great deal of courage. Um, I certainly didn't have the courage mm -hmm. to come here. Uh, what I do about my hair and the grayness of my hair is um, come up with a way to camouflage it, right? Where I wear scarves and hats and mm -hmm. pin it up. Um, because, you know, I spent a while in television. And the reason I, I chose radio uh, for my vocation as a broadcaster was because um, the ridicule and judgment I would get from television audiences when they were responding, it was nothing about the, the substance of the story we were covering. It was about how I looked. How you looked. Yeah. There was a what great was movie about and, that. That, know, it, what, you know, that, that was about the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if you saw it. It was um, uh, Charlize Theron played in, and it was a fabulous movie, not that old. And that, w that was how they chose people to represent the news, was how they showed up. And it, it literally had almost nothing to do with their skill, but how they would appear on camera. And it, it, we've just gone so far away from our humanity. And we, we've been so taught to, to be what other people expect of us, to show up the way that will allow them to accept us better. <clears throat> and it really does squash who you are. And, and at 57 years old now, I can say, I'm just now starting to honor who I actually am. It took me 57 years to get to the point where I'm just learning about it. So I, it, something has to give. Absolutely. And I think talking about it is yeah, part of that solution. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I like to talk about my nephew a lot when I'm talking about cognitive behavior therapy and the influence that mainstream messages have on our psyche from a very young age. So my nephew, Tyler, has Williams syndrome. So that's a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects him mentally and physically. Um, not so much physically, except, you know, kidney and heart problems, and uh, the facial characteristics are the same. So if you get, uh, not unlike Down syndrome, if you get a bunch of them in a room together, they, they look similar, right? They look like they're related, brothers and sisters, because they have very distinct characteristics, facial um, appearance that looks similar. And Williams syndrome kids look the same. Well, he's a young adult now, he's 32. However, mentally, he is five, and he, he's my perpetual five-year-old. He will never get beyond that with his uh, mental capabilities. And it's heartbreaking sometimes to watch how he struggles in social settings to make a connection. And he loves watching YouTube. And as you know, if you don't pay the premium for YouTube now, you have to sit through the ads. The ads. And yeah. uh, more often than not, you used to be able to click and skip them, but more often than not now, you have to sit through the 15 or 30 second commercial. So he got an iPad for Christmas one year, and we set the timer and said, okay, Tyler, one hour, and uh, then back 
do the, the living room, to, and uh, that's it. That's your digital allowance for the day. One hour, he comes back to the living room to announce that he has to lose weight and remove <laughs> all the hair from his chest. After one hour. One hour yeah. being subjected to 15-second messages yeah. from mainstream media messages telling us that we're never good enough, we're never slim enough, we're never rich enough, we're never smart enough, we're never hairless enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're bald, <laughs> then you need more hair. <laughs> and you know, it's funny that you bring that story up because it reminds me of when my son, uh, who now also is the same age as, as your nephew, um, when my son was young, I was adamant about not exposing him to violent television. And so uh, we were allowed to watch Mr. Rogers and gentle shows, as I liked to call them, um, but shows that his peers might be watching, like Batman and Spider-Man and the Power Rangers at that time were not allowed in our house. And he befriended a, a, a kid in our apartment building that we were living in at the time at the time the same age as him and of course that boy watched all those shows and so now the peer pressure entered into that decision uh and i will i'll never forget the day that i uh, i let him watch it, it was batman i believe uh batman and so he and his little friend steven were sitting on the couch watching batman now steven had watched it probably a thousand times but my son had never seen it before and literally as he's watching the show and those you know the the uh, in the cartoon animations it would be bam or pow or smash although in 1994 i guess it was it wasn't the bam or pow but they were the smashes and my son would literally be be like energetically, physically moved by what had happened. And you could see him reacting like <gasps> to it. And the his friend didn't move an inch, not a flinch, didn't feel a thing. So they were desensitizing our children to violence and abhorrent behavior and teaching them that it's okay to do those things. So not only are we teaching you shame and guilt, that you're not good enough, that you're, you're not pretty enough, tall enough, smart enough, whatever it is, but also now you have to be not sensitive to all the violence that happens around you. It is social conditioning at its very best masked in marketing and 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 pleasing our children and of course parents being so overwhelmed with the responsibilities of parenting having a career yada I could go on and on it's a babysitter at but sometimes too so man it's just we just come again so far away from our own humanity yeah oh, wow sorry no, that's okay. It's, I mean, it's heavy statements, yeah. right? I mean, we're in a heavy place in life right now. We are recording this in January of a new year, 2022. And, uh, you know, heading into three years of this pandemic now is taking a toll on everyone. We're seeing uh, suicide rates have tripled and addiction rates along with them. So, you know, that addictions, you know, that's been recognized as an epidemic for decades uh, but yet the dialogue is not increasing around it. The resources don't increase around it. Um, when I, I don't even like to give emergency numbers to people who are contemplating suicide anymore. I facilitate addiction recovery meetings, and we do talk about uh, the thoughts of suicide that come with the heightened emotions that come with learning how to manage our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors around not just recovery, but life in general. And we need to start talking openly about these things but uh, the feedback I'm getting is from uh, emergency numbers now. You're greeted with voicemail. Voicemail. Yeah. 
I mean, you talked about about addiction, and but there's so many more things. Domestic violence is up. Uh, the the stress and anxiety are at all time high levels, which increases inflammation, which automatically increases our our disease and disorders in people. Um, mental illness has skyrocketed throughout this uh, this pandemic and and nobody's talking about it and we were just saying there's this this fear to cover your liability to make sure that you can't be held liable for something that you might do wrong in the pursuit of helping another human being and what a shame mm -hmm. like what an absolute shame interesting that you bring that up because i'm getting text messages from my nephew Ty tyler because i just had him for a few days at my place and there's big separation anxiety, as there would be for any five-year-old leaving a comf the comfort of their home uh, to go back to his group home environment, which was a very difficult decision for his mother to make uh, because, you know, he's going to outlive us. That's our reality. So we needed to make the arrangements for him to be in a community of safety that was going to nurture him beyond when we shuffle off the mortal coil. You know, that's, that's his reality. So I... <laughs> I get I get choked up when I think about it. Mm. Oh man! <clears throat> so, uh, and the, I lost the train of thought. So we were talking about uh, he, you got text messages from text him. messages. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Text messages talking about stranger danger, which was programmed into our children in schools. I remember hearing it yeah. from children in schools, and I'm thinking, why are we teaching that to children? Yeah, you know, a very small. Uh, proportion of the population is ever found to be guilty of doing anything with children, but we blow it way out of proportion. So everybody is frozen it's in this fear, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. and doubt. I call it the FUD factor. It <laughs> is. Infuriating. So I said to him, sweetheart, I said, you're not with strangers. I said, you're with your extended family and your roommates. These are not strangers. There's no danger. But I mean, here he is, five years old. He has been programmed and conditioned yeah. to believe stranger It's danger. challenging to escape. It sure is. And the Pareto rule applies. 80% of the population believe those things to be true. And they believe by, by talking about them and warning our children and programming or conditioning our children to always be prepared for the worst thing is in their best interest. Do they believe this with their heart? And... And the truth is, if we were to focus more, I heard some Wayne Dyer um, in a recent talk I listened to where he said, wouldn't it be beautiful if we had Christianity focus more on Jesus's gifts than the suffering that he, that he held at the cross? And we spend so much time thinking about him hanging there bleeding and bloody and suffering, and we don't talk about his gifts and the, and, and the wisdom that he brought to the world. It just, it's, it's like... An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We fight fire with fire. These are all languages that we've... The mantra of mm. my vocation it's for painful. two decades was, yes. if it bleeds, it leads. Yes, yes. I was one of the first Toronto reporters on the scene of the Swiss air, air crash at Piggy's Cove in 1998. And uh, that's when cell phones were just starting to make yes. their appearance on the market. They were about as big as my uh, yes. Yeti water the jug Motorola. there. Motorola, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And very, very expensive. Yeah. So we were all still using phone booths to call in our reports with, uh, you know, the old handheld tape yes. recorders and stuff. So after two days of covering the carnage and despair, uh, everybody I was talking to, the Haligonians, the people from Halifax, um, 
they were all talking about wanting to open their hearts and homes to the people who were coming from overseas to collect what little remained of their loved ones in this horrible tragedy. And I made that my story on day three. And I remember being downtown uh, Halifax in the phone booth with the, you know, in my little yeah, voice yeah. snippets and uh, <laughs> And uh, then the producer came and said, hold on, she needs to talk to you before you go. So the news director come on the line. And I don't know why I expected more from a woman in that position, but hey, there, there we go. Mm, another social <laughs> construct, yeah, yes. Yeah, another social construct, <laughs> yeah. yes. And uh, she said, WTF, before WTF was an acronym, uh, what, what's this crap? What are, you, what are you doing here? What is this you're giving me? She said, and I had the phone up to my ear. She said, I want to see the blood and feel the pain. And I held the receiver away from my, my ear because something clicked in my psyche right there. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. It's chipping away at my soul. But then, you know, 1998, I had done it from, the, Jesus, from 1980. Right. right, it was what defined me. It's yes. who I was. If yes. I'm not a journalist, who am I? And oh, all I that. I love that question. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yes. Right? So I ended up staying in that profession for another few years, and then, uh, 2002, I became a news director at a small heritage radio station in Ontario. <laughs> when CNN and all the other networks of the world were broadcasting shock and awe uh, over the illegal uh, invasion of Iraq, the Iraq War with uh, Bush, the Bush administration at that time. I led what the local Red Cross was doing on a humanitarian level to uh, help all the innocent people who were getting their homes and businesses illegally bombed by Americans and their allies in this illegal war. <laughs> and after my six o'clock news, my boss called me and said, where's our war coverage? And I said, there's all kinds of it on every other network in the world. And I said, I thought our slogan was, where local news comes first. And I'm giving you local news, what we're doing on a humanitarian level with our Canadian Red Cross. And he said, you better start looking for another job. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. You touched on a really interesting topic that I'd love to step a little bit deeper into where you said, who am I? Mm. Who am I if I'm not the journalist, yeah. if I'm not what I do? And I, you know, I, I, this question has been encapsulating my focus for a a little bit now. <laughs> and, and, and let's ask that question, who am I? You know, I could say to you, I was, or at least experienced a time where I was a successful realtor. The real estate market's a little bit scarce right now <laughs> with, with, by the way, 52 listings this week. Wow. So if, I'm not, if I were not a mother and had not have had a child, who would I be then? So when we ask ourselves the question, who am I? We'll, we'll find the answers to be, I'm a sister, I'm a, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a journalist, I'm a realtor, I'm a coach, I'm a wife or a husband, yes? If we were to remove those labels, does that mean then that you now no longer can be you? Or then who is the you that's left if those things never came to fruition? So if I'm not a realtor, does that mean that I'm suddenly not me? Who am I? And that's why at the beginning of this, when we first started talking, I am not the shell that my, that my soul in essence has borrowed. I am not this body. I am not this world. 
I, I am the light that lives inside me that we are mostly conditioned out of. I didn't want my son to watch those violent shows. It taught him to be something different. It taught him to feel without his own authenticity. It taught him that he should be the expectation of those around him, that he somehow had to prove his worth by becoming something more than perhaps his, his authentic self uh, should show. And why are we not teaching that to our children? How did we get so far away from this lesson? And, and how many people are walking around right now not knowing the answer to that very basic question, who am I? Mm. Who am I? Dr. Walter Matwichuk. Uh, who's been a guest on the show, he made a very good point around that question because I asked him, do you, do you encourage people to define who am I? And he said, absolutely not. He said, um, you know, you are Tanya McIntyre. I am Walter Matwichuk. That's it. That's it. You know, um, so I just want to read this from him quickly. We've got uh, just about over eight minutes, but I, I think this is pretty profound. And I just want to share it with you on acceptance. To accept something is to, one, acknowledge that it exists, number two, acknowledge that all conditions are in place for it to exist, and three, believe that while it is preferable for this reality not to exist, it does not follow that it must not exist, four, resolve to change the existing conditions if they can be changed, and adjust constructively and move on if they can't be changed. So the unconditional self-acceptance manifesto here is, I do not have intrinsic worth or worthlessness, but merely aliveness. It is to my advantage to rate my traits and acts so that I learn how to change what I can change about my traits and acts, but not rate my totality of self. Rating my totality is invalid and emotionally self-harming. I acknowledge there is no valid reason I cannot choose to accept myself fully and that there is a tremendous emotional advantage to doing so. I will not use my unconditional self-acceptance as an excuse for self-serving misbehavior as I live in a social group, of course. And my acts have consequences. Regardless of what I do, though, I remain a unique, complex, fallible human who is in a constant state of change. I also acknowledge that for these reasons of uniqueness, complexity, and change, I cannot validly rate my totality my personhood or myself. That's a big mouthful. It is. And that would require a group to sit through and take it sentence by sentence. Sentence by sentence, absolutely. He's he's a deep guy. He is, and a beautiful man. And I had a really great experience uh, with him for sure. And if I could take anything from that, and I'm going to go back to the who am I, Mm. you know, because here I sit in this 57-year-old body, but I had a 20-year-old body once. And at that time, that's who I was. And so does that mean now that I am something else? We are in a constant state of flux, accepting that we're human, that we're in a constant state of change, and that we will never be this way again. Is I, I wish we could all walk with that confidence. It seems to take away the emotional burden that many of us walk with. I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm somehow inherently flawed. And that it's easy for you to say or be that way because you, as I see and judge your outsides based on my insides, you look better to me. Mm. You seem to show up in some better way that makes me feel smaller based on my own issues about me. It had zero to do with you. So that, you know, we're in a constant state of flux. We are all 
fallible. We will all uh, learn, change, and grow from day to day. And I am not the infant body that I was born in. I'm not the teenage body that I had, although I wish for that sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I, and at, at this 57-year-old body in, in a year, by the way, 100% of my cells will have completely regenerated and I won't be this either. So so the the who am I in a constant state of flux is beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I do like that approach. The unconditional self-acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, and unconditional life acceptance. Uh, we've only got like just under five minutes, Tammy, and I wanted to get into the four keys to higher consciousness. Oh, but we're I gonna I know. Yeah. We'll dig into that next time we're together. Yeah, well, let's just touch on a couple of them. Number okay. one, cultivating the witness. Yes. One of my favorites of those four. You know, we're here, as I said, I'm borrowing this shell as the essence that that's, that that is manifested on this earth, yet my ego seems to occupy a lot of it. When in cultivating the witness, I get to watch and notice how I respond, react, feel and think in any given situation. And when you're able to cultivate the witness, you can then look at your human behavioral patterns, propensities, addictions, behaviors, feelings with a different sense, you know, like my son sitting at the Batman television reacting, or uh, how do you feel when someone says something to you? You get to notice how it touches you, your, both your humanity and your essence. I love the cultivating the witness. We mm. are here to notice ourselves so that we can evolve. And the other one, taming the ego. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, man. where do we even begin? It's so tough. It's huge. We're just such an egocentric society that, mm -hmm. that I want to look good and be right. And most of us, that's all we really want. I want to be accepted, look good, and be right. That's it. And we're always comparing ourselves to yeah. images that are not attainable, right? Yes. And we've got this whole celebrity culture that yes. just kind of fuels everything. Completely unattainable. Mm -hmm. Jim Carrey does a beautiful video on that where he says, I wish everybody could become a millionaire so they'd recognize that it doesn't do all the things you think it does. You know, happiness is fleeting, and it comes from inside, not a monetary achievement. That's another thing we could talk about, achievement, achievement. accomplishment, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hoarding things to give us value and worth. And man, I wish I could show up here naked with no hair and and have the courage to just be like, yeah, you don't like it? Well, you look like this in the morning too, you know? Like, why do we judge? So so it was tame the ego, cultivate the witness. Banish um, all doubt. Banish all doubt, you know, doubt. That's your big thing, mm -hmm. man. Uh, and, and, and notice when you're talking doubtfully. Notice how you language your world, the world around you. That's yeah. the other one, shut down the inner dialogue. Shut down that, in, yeah, those, oh. are, those are some powerful statements. I'd love to dig deeper in another show. We'll come back and do that. Maybe I won't have hair that day. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Tammy Bannon, mm -hmm. thank you so much. You are a delight. I, thank you. I love your wisdom. I learned so much from you. Uh, I am blessed to have you in my life. Thank you. I feel the same. Thank you. Tammy Bannon, Master Life Coach. This is the woman you want. If you want a life transformation, this is the woman that can do it for you. Tammy at TammyBannon.com. You can reach her. And if you want to be a guest on the show, by all means, email me, redroofrecovery at gmail.com. I would love to have you here. Red Roof Recovery offers online and in-person programs for a variety of mental health disorders, including substance and behavior addictions. We use a number of modalities for recovery, including cognitive and rational behavior therapies and other resources from programs like SMART, self-management and recovery training. I facilitate a couple of online meetings through SMART. You can access through smartrecovery.org 
And I am now hosting an in-person meeting, I'm happy to say, in Lucknow, Ontario, every Sunday at noon. I really hope today's episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show has helped open the possibilities for more acceptance and non-judgment in your life. Um, I've authored a couple of books. Yes, it's my turn now for a little uh, self-promotion here. Mm -mm. My first book is called Mindful Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad. Sage advice from a single father. It's to honor my father. He was an extraordinary man, and I miss him a lot. And then the other one is Daily Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad. I set this one up as a journal so you can contemplate the inspirational message every day. And I hope you will actually write down your intentions for the day. Because I have found that writing is a very powerful, you know, the power of words is powerful, but I find the power of the written word when we're actually writing stuff to ourselves, that can be life transformational. It certainly has been for me. My wish for you is always to live fully and live on purpose, whatever that is for you. Laugh often, get those endorphins going and uh, raise your vibration. Love always, be mindful, stay positive. And remember, it's very powerful to know that the only thing we can control in our lives is ourselves. I know it's profound. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force. 